Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're looking to the heavens and on to the future of space tourism and asking whether and to what extent COVID-19 has stunted adoption in this fast-moving territory. Thanks to the insights of the main author of a new UBS Global Research Q-Series report on this very theme, we'll explore, if not where no man has gone before, at least where very few, but a most select group of billionaires and innovators have been heading in the last few weeks. As well as the impact of COVID-19, we'll take the temperature of the sector and ponder the investment landscape in the face of some high-profile setbacks and delays. And we'll consider what space tourism, as well as the pandemic, could mean for long-haul travel via space in the longer term. Here to talk to us about how space tourism remains a relatively small but highly visible subset of the larger space ecosystem and how the rollout of space tourism and the resulting revenues are aiding the development of that ecosystem and the democratisation of space is Jared Castle, analyst in global research at UBS. Now, we spoke to Jared about the future of space tourism back in 2019, so it's a particular delight to welcome him back to the programme this week. Jared, great indeed to have you on the show once again. Let me just start by jumping in and asking a little bit about, you know, these very high profile, perhaps understandably front page grabbing endeavours that, you know, we've seen Richard Branson, we've seen Jeff Bezos. What does that do in terms of the background to space tourism that actually we've discussed over a number of years? Does that bring it to a new audience? Does it change public attitudes? Does it change anything fundamental? Or is it, again, just sort of media white noise that's always bubbling along in the background? Yeah, I think probably the thing which is of most importance is um, it's proof of concept. You know, these companies have the the approval now to operate space tourism from the FAA in the US. And, you know, clearly um, very high profile launches that we've seen both with, um, you know, the two backers of space tourism. There, There is going to be a third later on, which is um, SpaceX during what looks like a later this year, where another billionaire will be going up into space, uh, Jarek Isaacman, but it's not going to be Elon Musk. So I think I think the key is, you know, the proof of concept um, is yeah, the approvals yeah, and um, you know probably what's been one of the big drivers for this industry is the different ambitions behind the sponsors of these projects, which extend beyond space tourism, quite frankly, but also the people who can afford to pay for space tourism, which tends to be the high net worth individuals, which continue to grow both in wealth and in numbers, actually. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you a bit more about that that question of scale and the costs involved, because it's fair to say, I guess, that if we look at space tourism then specifically, it remains a, a smaller subsector of this bigger space economy piece. But nevertheless, even since the preceding report, which I think was in 2019, if I'm right in saying, it looks like there are several things that have maybe surprised on the upside. There's probably been a greater influx of capital. You just mentioned ambition, and it seems like there are more ambitious plans than the base cases that were set a couple of years back. And indeed, a faster pace and a more impressive pace of technical progress since then. Would you go along with that? That summary? I think probably, um, you know, the, the progress has been a little bit slower than maybe some of the timetables would have liked. Indeed, you know, there are some companies which we discussed in the 2019 report, which, you know, appear to have now ceased operation. So 
it's um, clearly the winners that are that are gaining the the public attention. But indeed, you know, I think the broad space theme as well, which you know currently is somewhere around 400, 450 um, billion dollars of opportunity, you know, is going to continue to grow. We we think it could be somewhere more towards 900 billion by the end of the um, the decade. And you know, space tourism, as you correctly point out, is a small component. You know, effectively less than five percent. You know, the wider component um, extends to some of the ambitions that some of the billionaires have in terms of launching satellites and indeed for some of them even interplanetary um, travel. But certainly it's, it's a step in terms of uh, building this ecosystem because you're building out the technology at the same time. Well, yeah, and I wanted to ask you, Jared, specifically about the the setbacks along the way, the kind of stutter steps we've seen, delays. I guess it is important to bear in mind that that is part and parcel of this this process. And it's funny, there are some of the companies mentioned in dispatches back in 2019 that actually are no longer even, even operating. I think Orion Span was one, there are perhaps one or two others. But that is, it was and remains to be expected. So we shouldn't be unrealistic, should we, in terms of what we expect or what investors demand to see in terms of the pace of progress and the, the involvement of these hiccups and setbacks? Yes, I think, I think that's like um, you know, every new industry. You, you can see the wave in terms of the direction it's heading to, but you know, it's also about picking you know, the, the winners in each industry. And um, you know, it's the same, yeah. Clearly, as well, there has been um, some ambitions which have been brought forward as well. So it hasn't um, just been, you know, some delays or some challenges to overcome. But, you know, in terms of some of the communication, for instance, you know, landing on the moon, that has been brought forward somewhat, while others have been, um, you know, pushed out somewhat, such as taking civilians on suborbital flight. Still, the direction is, um, you know, one of improvement but you know they are going to be setbacks along the way and to be blunt you know this was exactly the same with um, aviation early on and you know we still had a nascent phase of this development as it relates both to um, civilian ambitions but also um, ambitions from governments. Well, you mentioned commercial aviation there, of course, and it would be impossible to look back over the last 12, 18 months in that realm without talking about COVID-19, which has had this this huge impact. I think I recall again before that we talked about the travel by space and the what kind of opportunity there was then again back in 2019. Has that also again then been affected? It must have been, I guess, to a degree by, by COVID-19. What does the pandemic impact in this space, if you'll pardon the pun, look like? Probably it's fair to say the most challenging period of aviation since 1945-1946 that the industry's faced. What it resulted in was uh, was global airline traffic last year, 2020, falling by two-thirds and airlines losing the most money in their history. You know, thankfully, 2021 has been a year of recovery, but nevertheless, you know, still materially below um, pre-crisis levels. And I think, you know, this is going to have a lasting impact specifically on the business traveler. And that also will have a knock-on effect for certain areas of uh, the space opportunity. One thing that I find quite interesting, and actually when I speak to colleagues from all across UBS, Jared, there is this idea we always come back to sustainability themes and we talk about ESG and this sort of thing. I wonder, has really even just in the last couple of years, 
Does this sector in some respects become something of a harder sell? You mentioned that almost the prerequisite that there's uh, ultra high net worth individuals involved because it's so cash hungry. Does that make it more complicated? Because it, it doesn't seem at first glance to tick those sustainability boxes or is it not as simple as that? I guess, you know, both in aviation and, and in this sphere now, you know, people are very concerned about the environment. You know, we've we've done studies, or at least a UBS Evidence Lab has undertaken studies, which shows that respondents are concerned about the environment. Nearly a fifth, um, you know, are concerned about the environment when making a booking, you know, related to aviation. So I guess it's certainly a theme from that perspective. I think it's obviously also a theme from the side of government. You know, just recently, in the month of July, you saw the Fitful 55 proposals from the European Union, you know, which continues to want to reduce the carbon emissions from the aviation industry. And of course, you know, there is also this concept of flight shaming, which, you know, potentially extends into some form of shaming related to space travel at the moment. I guess just like in the aviation industry, you know, participants are trying to address these concerns as it relates to the environment. And indeed, some of the technology you know, doesn't emit carbon effectively burning hydrogen and oxygen and, and hence can be viewed as carbon neutral. But, but I think, you know, there, there is also the theme around, you know, the production of these spacecraft and, and the relating carbon emissions. So, so I think from that perspective, um, it's probably a, somewhat of a headwind for, for, for this industry. Well, yeah, and it strikes me then that our regulatory concerns an issue also then, Jared, because, you know, we know that some of the big players that we mentioned right at the top seem to have surmounted some of the initial regulatory hurdles. And that's it's not been an entirely easy process. It's been fairly fraught indeed at times. But you mentioned again government, you mentioned the EU on the broader sustainability piece. Do we anticipate that the regulatory landscape will become increasingly complex and tricky to navigate? I guess that's fair for, 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 for most companies, quite frankly. But, but as I said, you know, the commercial licenses have been granted um, for these trips. So from that perspective, you know, that regulatory box has been ticked. But from the perspective of reducing carbon emissions, you know, I would expect, just like we've seen, um, you know, those pressures are going to continue to grow. But, you know, there are also the broader ambitions related to some of these initiatives, like Blue Origin, where effectively, um, you know, wanting to take some of that so-called dirty industry into space and, um, you know, allowing for uh, less emissions on Earth. Jared, just a final thought on the size of the opportunity here. Tell us a bit, just briefly, about what that looks like for you and your colleagues. You know, we've gone from 3 billion to 4 billion, which basically driven by, you know, some of the regular hurdles being met and also this growth in high net worth. And at the same time, but again, we've touched on it, you know, we've reduced the long haul travel via space opportunity. And, you know, that was basically reduced based on five uh, metrics. And we've touched on a couple of them, you know, the reduction in business travel. These are the most um, time conscious, but least cost conscious individuals. So, you know, if that need to travel for business has been reduced, you know, given substitution through video conferencing or, you know, indeed, potentially clients just happy to um, interact over, you know, a line, not even see your face, you know, that probably reduces the opportunity there. Secondly, you know, we have seen, um, you know, concerns around the environment, which will weigh into how people view such a product. Uh, Thirdly, um, what we've also seen is 
those who can afford it are using business jets more. And certainly the decline relative to what we saw in commercial aviation was much less. So last year, you know, um, business jet usage fell 20%, commercial jet usage fell two-thirds, as I said. So, you know, one of the benefits of using a business jet is you gain time um, because you're not going to be in, you know, general queues. Um, and also you can pick your time uh, more readily in terms of departure. So it gives that extra flexibility. So, you know, that continues, coupled with the fact that people can undertake work on, on planes now um, in terms of the connectivity, you know, does saving all that time, is it worth the cost and, and indeed maybe the risk? And then also, you know, what we will see going forward is um, hopefully some form of supersonic and indeed further out, maybe a hypersonic travel product, which, you know, again, uh, people probably would think about the safety aspect and also think about the, you know, the cost aspect coupled with, you know, how much time then are we are we saving if if you if you are able to deliver a supersonic product you know london to new york would be around three and a half hours rather than six and a half hours per some of these companies and i guess it doesn't make sense if you could reduce that time maybe by two hours if if, if it's worth undertaking some kind of travel via space to to reduce your time further and later on as i said you know if we start to see hypersonic that three and a half hours falls even further and then just lastly, um, you know, some of our survey results suggest that respondents' willingness to undertake long-haul via space might have reduced. And potentially that's due to the fact that, you know, to the respondents, it's looking more and more like a reality that something like this, you know, will develop over time rather than maybe asking them in 2018 when, um, you know, there was less awareness or, or indeed more doubt that something like this would become a reality. And I guess what that means is people think a lot harder before answering the question. So, you know, it was, it was those aspects which basically, you know, made us reduce the, the market opportunity there, which is, which is backed up basically by having a look at what the super long-haul flights are globally in 2019, having a look at what the business travel component is and then taking a penetration rate to estimate how many of those travelers would indeed you know be willing to 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 get on such a flight but obviously there there are a lot of estimates involved and uh, you know we've, just like other areas we've got to see if these ambitions are delivered Jared Castle and that brings us to the end of this edition of the bulletin with UBS setting the agenda in the fast moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24 you can listen again and find out more, as always, at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle24.